Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Joey. And today, Paulie and I are joined by Renee Lynch. Renee is a naturopath who specializes in women's fertility. Now, I first met Renee about 10 or 12 years ago, training at CrossFit Bondi, which was a gym run by my mate, Glenn. Shout out to Big G. In the time that's passed since then, Renee has carved out a career for herself as a naturopath, so taking natural ways to help women with their reproductive health and fertility. I was really interested to get Renee in today to have a chat about that, but sort of more broadly about women's health and particularly through the lens of women who are busy and active and in the gym training doing that thing like we're doing here at Jungle Botany. So it was quite a broad ranging chat, some really cool stuff for Paulie and I to learn about menstrual cycles um, and how that can affect women's performance and how they can better manage it. Um, Amazing chat. Renee's a total legend. I'm going to leave some links in the show notes so that you can check out her stuff. I would definitely recommend you jump onto her Instagram account. She has a lot of free resources and puts out a lot of really good information. Anyway, super enlightening chat today. It was an honor to have Renee on. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the show, fam. Renee, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Um, I guess there's a there's a bit we want to dive into, and the topic is kind of around women and around women's health, kind of specifically from the training side of things. But I thought it'd be really cool to hear from you, your sort of path with it, naturopathy, how you got into that, and how you've ended up in your area of specialization. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess health has always been something of interest to me it's one of those weird things it was almost like a hobby to read magazines on superfoods when I was a teenager very strange (laughs) and then for whatever reason life took me in different directions and I worked in PR and I worked at a a prominent company that encouraged women to quit sugar oh yes so i suppose it went from i feel feel like i know a few people that worked for said company yes you do because i bumped into you one day outside single origin okay yep Yep. the office was just there wasn't it yeah it was upstairs there um so yeah i suppose i looked at studying when i was 21 and then i came full circle and i enrolled at 30 in my degree and it was good because I guess I knew I really wanted to do it um, and I had the support from my partner. He's like, yep, just do it. You know, you're either going to be this age and have the degree that you want or you're just going to be that age. So went back to study and absolutely loved it. So it's a Bachelor of Health Science naturopathy. So not just some online course that you can do, which they are out there. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and would the qualification be legit, like recognised? Not a short online course? Yeah. No. Right. And that's, I mean, that's where the issue comes in because you see often, you know, naturopath responsible for the death of, and it's usually someone who's done a short course and calling themselves a naturopath. And the issue is, is that the, we aren't yet registered, like say a dietitian. And that's where the issue comes in is that for so long there was so many different courses and qualifications that could give you the title of a naturopath. But now the minimum education is a Bachelor of Health Science. So it's about four years. 
Okay, and that's some um, silly question, but like a bachelor or a bachelor of health science, that could be studied at a TAFE, or is that a university thing? My one was at a private college, right. but can be done at a university as well. There's a couple of universities that do that are doing it, and the good thing about the, you know, the baseline qualification now is that there's only a few institutions within Australia where you can study it. That's cool. Yeah. So it's somewhat beyond personal trainer qualifications, you could say. <laughs> somewhat, Because <laughs> yeah. you know that can be varied as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so that's cool. Yeah, that was actually something I wanted to ask because I'm, I'm sure that naturopathy gets lumped into the, I don't know, there's so many um, kind of unrecognized, or like there are a few quack disciplines out there. One that comes to mind is homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's come a long way as well. I haven't seen a homeopath before, but I'm sure that 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 what you do gets criticised at times for being in that realm. It does, and that's because back in the day, within the naturopathic degree, there was remedial massage in there, there's flower essences, there's herbal medicine, there's nutrition. They did do... A lot of naturopaths from, say, 15, 20 years ago did do homeopathy as part of the degree and also astrology. And there, Glenn will laugh if I say there's a lot to astrology because he thinks it's bullshit. Um, But, you know, like some of these things are really cool, but the degree to kind of become what it is today has kind of had to go down that scientific path to be taken seriously. So... While we shouldn't turn our back on, you know, empirical knowledge and tradition, we do have to kind of come into the modern age and really consider the science as well. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so you got the qualification and then where did that take you? You you start a clinic? Like how did you turn it into your profession? Yeah, so a, a lot of the feedback I got from people who had previously studied was oh there's not really any support once you finish you kind of have to go out and make something of yourself and I said that's the same with any degree you know Mm. like you don't have a guaranteed job at the end so yeah it is really what you make it and there's a lot of social media marketing Um, I I had a little bit of a following from that sugary job that I um, mentioned. Um, Are you trying to not get sued? Is that why you're not, not mentioning names? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I suppose I've just come a long way and don't really believe in cutting out bananas and dates. But Ah, yes, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, it was just promotion on social media to start with and I started practising out of a clinic in Bronte that had a, a pretty solid reputation and just kind of built it from there. Women's health was always like the area that I wanted to go in. You know, I really wanted to work with couples through preconception, uh, women through pregnancy and postpartum. Essentially, I wanted to get a woman while she had this, you know, pure being inside of her and help her maybe change some things about her life that was going to positively impact the next generation. So getting, you know, the couple from the very beginning is essentially the starting point and so that's my focus fertility is is my focus now is it would you say that it's a a big industry in that there's a lot of people out there who require assistance with improving fertility i would say that it has become a very big issue right sure you know i 
you hear more and more these days, you know, couples needing IVF. And while it's incredible that we have assisted reproductive technology now um, and it's allowed so many couples realise their dreams of becoming a family, what IVF cannot do is it cannot improve sperm quality and it cannot improve egg quality. And that is where I come in. Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a cool way to put it. I guess um, <clears throat> it's probably important for us to kind of mention that there's obviously like like any kind of discussion around reproduction or fertility or even like um, even like cell, like like um, people taking medicine things like that it's very easy for people to get defensive because mm-hmm. of certain positions which is totally like within their rights um, I guess we're going to talk about it very objectively and so it's not to discredit maybe what someone's viewpoint might be absolutely yep. but 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 yeah I mean makes total sense like there there's so um, what you're saying is there's things that you can do to improve your health which is going to help to improve the likelihood and the success like the the overall health of what you're reproducing exactly and so if i have a couple come to me and their goal is to fall pregnant but they have been looking at ivf if we're doing some preconception work and supporting both you know, male fertility and female fertility, and they still can't fall pregnant naturally, their chances of having a healthy pregnancy are likely going to be increased just by doing that groundwork. And I'm not just talking about supplementation. So much of it is diet and lifestyle changes. And that's kind of the stuff that's not covered in these clinics. Can I ask a sillier question? And even you, Joe. <laughs> Doubt what, it. <clears throat> what is naturopathy? I've never seen one. My wife has a couple of times, uh, including when she was pregnant, I think, with our second. Can't quite remember. But what, yeah, what is it exactly? Or what's like the known definition of it? It's, there's many known definitions depending on, <laughs> who, on you who you are. But a very simplified version is describing it as nutritional and herbal medicine. So essentially it's about... So during a consultation, there's so many different questions asked about so many different systems in the body because essentially we're trying to put the puzzle together of the person sitting in front of us and get to the root cause of what's going on. So you may go to a doctor, say it's for fertility and you're essentially looked at as a uterus whereas we're looking at the whole person. So what's happening with stress levels, what's their diet doing, what's their emotional status, and it's treating the whole person. We're not just, you know, the sum of our parts, essentially. Yeah, I like that a lot. And so within that, depending on what the person needs, it might be dietary changes, lifestyle changes, or supplementation and herbal medicine. That's awesome. Yeah, it's um, well. There's parallels for personal training. If you've got a good coach, um, often yeah, you're looking at all the factors. They've just come for weight loss, but it's not just about getting on the treadmill. It's all the other stuff as well. Exactly. I try not to look just at the uterus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> view the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> from all angles. A holistic yeah. approach. Yes, holistic absolutely. Approach. Yeah, it's it's really true though, isn't it? That. Um, would you say that, that that idea of looking at just one thing, like that isolated view, is that, is that typical of like Western medicine? 
I would say so and I don't I don't know necessarily like I don't want to shit on any doctors so to speak um, but essentially the time they have these days to sit down with a patient can be as little as 10 to 15 minutes and that's a failure on the medical system not on the doctor um, to go and get more investigations done you need a referral to see a specialist and then if you have a good specialist incredible if you have a poor specialist you're kind of back to the drawing board like I had a client today she's had she says she experienced experiences pain 90% of the month throughout her cycle and they sent her for an ultrasound to see if there was anything going on any cysts or fibroids and they're like no everything looks really good everything's fine off you you're go. imagining that yeah <laughs> off you go mm. I'm like that's not good enough so I'm guessing in your practice um, that the consult the initial consult is pretty thorough because you've got to investigate like a lot of different areas what does that look like so we spend about anywhere from 75 to 90 minutes um, one-on-one and it's essentially it's a lot of questions I run I literally run through all of the body systems and I kind of say you could be here for one thing and I'm asking you questions that may seem completely unrelated to you Mm. but it's just me kind of piecing everything together but it's essentially getting all of the information I need what they do for work do they love their work Um, what are their current symptoms what do they want to get out of working with me what have they tried in the past um you know what's their diet look like what's their movement what kind of stress do they experience any depression anxiety all of those things because stress is massive and I can know in the first five minutes when I ask them what they do for work and if they love it exactly what that stress picture is right it's very tied to the profession yeah or to their response more so to their health state especially fertility stress greatly impacts our ability to conceive and um i've had a couple of clients that one quit a job and one has gone into private practice instead of working in the public health system and both said that chatting to me was a catalyst when they actually realized how much they disliked their job or how much it was impacting their health it really made them reassess you know what they wanted their future to look like do you find that well i i've found that many times dealing with somebody in the gym usually in a one-to-one setting they're they're very aware that their work is destroying them you know it's like they're under so much stress one one that comes to mind is a, a fellow that was running like quite a successful um marketing company under a huge amount of stress but also like a lot of drug abuse within that role because it was a lot of parties and coke and that kind of thing late nights and then you know trying to raise a family and train all that like so just so much going wrong in that chunk of his life um or so much being mismanaged i should say um and you know we would talk about it he'd be like yeah i know like i gotta you know i gotta make a change but you know i just we just got to get to this point like i just got to get the business to here or i just got to get this happening and then you know then i can i can do it um a lot of the times when you talk with people like that they're they're just they're not willing to make the change do you find yourself dealing with 
with clients in a similar situation where they're like maybe high powered full-on kind of job aware that it's causing problems but not willing to do anything about it they're like i'm not going to change that give me a solution oh absolutely you often come up with that kind of barrier and in naturopathy we call them barriers to cure you know everybody has these roadblocks that they have to kind of move past for real change to happen um for some people it might be diet but for some people yeah it may very well be their career and all you can do in that situation is plant the seed and keep walking you know keep progressing forward with what you're trying to do but always kind of come back to that particular block and it's really at the end of the day up to them right if they want to make that change or not and the thing that I say to my female clients who are coming to me who are trying to conceive is what I want you to think about is how would you be acting right now what would you be doing how would you be living if you were pregnant right now because that's essentially what you want to happen so would you be filling your day with all of these meetings would you be eating the way you're eating would you be sleeping the way you're sleeping would you have more boundaries in place because if you were pregnant right now I'm sure that all of that would be you know pretty solid and that that gets a lot of women that change reframing it is huge and they're like wow I've never thought about it like that yeah it's a cool way to put it yeah Visualise the goal. What, uh, what's naturopathy's view of conventional medicine? Again, it depends who you ask. There's a, um, there's a big divide in the industry. There's uh, a, a huge portion of people who have, practicing, who have been practicing for years who have studied how I mentioned earlier, doing all of the different modalities, and they're quite set on not becoming a registered profession and then you've got the newer graduates and I suppose people who can see the benefit of becoming a registered profession and so I I feel like we want to head towards registration to be taken seriously by conventional medicine to bridge that gap and it may not happen until registration comes in because that will essentially really solidify the fact that you can't do a you know two-week herbal medicine course online to call yourself a naturopath or a herbalist so yeah it depends on the person and and i go up and down every single week depending on the client that i've spoken to and sending them to their doctor with a referral letter to get some blood tests and they'll either have a doctor who will bring them to tears telling them that they're stupid why would you want to get these blood tests you don't need them and then you have another doctor who is very supportive will even send me the results and are open to having a collaborative relationship so it does tend to get shut down a bit absolutely i always send a referral letter to a doctor whether they read it or not it's professionally written and it's trying to have that open and collaborative relationship because essentially I would think that we want optimal health for our client. Yeah, surely that's the agreement amongst health professionals. Exactly, exactly. And it's part of the reason I have deferred because I'm going to have a child. Uh, I 
am going to be doing my master's in reproductive medicine and it's to try and bridge that gap because if I have a you know a lot of my clients who are going to fertility specialists and they say I'm seeing a naturopath but they know that this naturopath has her master's in reproductive medicine again trying to bridge that gap good for you yeah carved away yeah just need to finish (laughs) are there there many out there that uh that have both degrees or can see from both sides um there's a lot of i think the way naturopathy is going is a lot of people are starting to specialize because obviously there's so many different things that need to be treated and for example gut health which is huge you need to almost devote your whole practice to delving into the research with the gut and you just you can't do it all and it's okay Mm. to not do it all Mm. and so yeah there's a lot of specialization happening and a lot of people going and doing different masters to learn more yeah it's interesting isn't it that you can you can just in that sort of scenario you can see how an industry that where it starts to specialize it starts to funnel towards specific things which obviously is great but the trade-off and we talk about this from a physicality perspective with our training here the trade-off is is that as you specialize you move further away from other perspectives and that is maybe somehow you could argue how we've ended up with a um with a medical system that is so isolated in its view doesn't mean it has to be that way yeah but, you know, I, I remember um, someone, uh, someone joking about it once, like uh, their child had, what was it? It was, it was someone, someone's child had hurt themselves. They'd hurt their arm or their elbow or something. And one of the family relative, one of the, like I think the, the sister of this person was like a, a hand specialist. And uh, he was like, oh, can you take a look? And she was like, no, no, like <laughs> the child's hurt their elbow, not their hand. And he, he, he joked like, like, are you a right or a left-hand specialist? <laughs> you know, but it's kind of that idea of like it, we almost, like it's really great to have that, to be able to go that deep on something. But then that hyper-specificity brings about its own issues. Absolutely. And by me saying that I specialise in fertility, I still have clients that come to me and their gut needs working on and their nervous system needs working on and all of these different things. Or they're, you know chronically ill different viruses i'm not just again going all right we're here to get a baby in your uterus um it is that whole person approach and yeah you're so right like surely if she studied the hand she studied the arm (laughs) (laughs) can i ask more about um like what what a session looks like being that i haven't had one and i guess i'm wondering like Book a session, mate. Book a session. I I think I might. Um, Do I have a uterus? Where is that? (laughs) Uh, But uh, like I'm thinking also with the practice of it and is there a process that you go through where there's, yeah, a hierarchy of things where you look at this system first, then this system, do you know what I mean? Or is that developed by the individual? Um, So, yeah, how does it work? say I have an issue and I know it's maybe we could just make an example of something and use it as a vehicle but yeah what does it look like so how do you break it down and kind of get to the core you know what I mean so I do have my kind of initial intake form on my laptop 
with all of my different body systems listed there, but it really depends on where that conversation goes with the individual. So if someone comes to me and they talk about the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm looking at, I want to conceive, but recently I've also been getting quite sick, like always coming down with colds and flus. So we go through that and then I'm like, let's jump into your immune health. And I just go down a whole rabbit hole of mm-hmm. what's their history of infection, <coughs> how many times have they had antibiotics. From there, when we talk about immune health and if there's any use of antibiotics, that leads into gut health and how that might be impacting their current state. Uh, You know, how many times a day they're going to the toilet, are they regular, that kind of thing. So I may not necessarily have to go through every single system with the person, but I'm really led by what the person is telling me. And every single person is different. It's um, It's not necessarily a systematic approach with each consultation, it really depends what kind of evolves from the consultation. There's often a lot of um, emotions and I think it comes down to people not really having someone hold the space for them and and them having the space to talk about what's going on in their life. So there's often a lot of emotions so then we'll go down into the nervous system and yeah, go, go from there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Does, um, does that kind of... Yeah, it does. Like, I, I, I kind of figured it would be that way, but I also um, it wasn't sure whether there was, like, a framework that you go through and it starts from here and goes to there. Head to toe. Head to toe, <laughs> to left hand, right hand. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the mental health aspect... I mean, it's crazy because you, you must put on so many different hats in that session in the same way that when you're coaching someone there's a lot of emotion involved and you're dealing with so much stuff. Um, Like when you see someone, how much time do you want to spend with them? You know what I mean? Like ideally, you know, the more time they spend with you and obviously the more action they take on, you know, the things that you you guys figure out, like the better, but like, yeah. How how much time do people typically spend with you? Say, let's say over the course of um, trying to get pregnant. Okay, so depending, in an ideal world, they would come to me at, a, at the very minimum three months before they actually want to try and conceive. Right. Six months would be incredible. A year in advance would be like they're trying to have a super baby. Um, but a lot of people kind of generally start preconception at around the three to four month mark out of when they're trying to conceive. And so... It can be expensive. Supplementation can be expensive. We can't, we have to be honest and say that the, you know, the nutraceutical industry is not as lucrative, but very lucrative like the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. Um, And so I really am mindful of how much I'm prescribing to people from a financial perspective. Also, how much can a person take? What's it, you know, the burden on the liver, all of that. Um, and also the cost of a consultation. I'm, I'm not bulk billed like a doctor. So I can see where there is hesitancy with booking an appointment with a naturopath. Um, my initial consultation can be between $165 or $185 for 
follow-ups around $100. So I generally try and space them out so that if we're going to go and do some blood tests, let's leave it four to six weeks so that they have enough time to get their blood tests, get their results and come back. I don't want to add any stress into anyone's lives with get them done in two weeks and then come back to me. So I know there's a lot of practitioners that do kind of in the early days do fortnightly or every three-week appointments. For me, I like to send someone away implement what we've talked about and then let's touch base in you Mm. know four to six weeks uh generally it'll be you know every four to six weeks then they fall pregnant and then it's like okay we're usually touching base in the first trimester the second trimester and the third trimester okay sure yeah i see there's room there for case by case similar to us because you you want to help the person but you're going to meet them where they're at with their finances and their stress levels and I might say you should come and see me three times a week because I know that they can handle that for all the different reasons or it's just like you know once a month yeah okay yeah exactly exactly you got to meet yeah we can't just assume that everybody can fit into it. and fit into your the way that you and that's exactly. that, yeah that's hard yeah here's a big question for you you alluded at the beginning to that there's like an increasing need for help with fertility um, or, you know, the inverse is that like fertility is perhaps, I don't know, becoming more of an issue. Um, what What's the reason for that? And, I, and I'm sure there's many, but if we look at it from like a, from a, you know, wide view, overview kind of thing, what what are those reasons? Uh, I girls don't know how to talk to guys. Uh, guys <laughs> don't know how to talk to girls anymore. No. That's what it fucking is. You know, yeah, it's all digital now. I would say what I see a lot with women is stress is greatly impacting their ability to conceive. So if you kind of think back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, women had a slightly different role in the household. And I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. To each their own. Everybody has a different vision of how they want their life to look whether they go out and chase a career or whether being at home is like their their dream uh so i would say that and i've heard this from clients and friends who have been through ivf that the ivf clinics are filled with busy women who are looking at their watch waiting for their call up to go through and have their blood tests before they need to rush back to the office so there's that there's a lot of hormonal issues now uh, missing cycles, long cycles. Uh, that can be attributed to so many different things. Stress plays a you know a huge role, but hormonal imbalances can be from you know our chemical use, which has increased over the years. And that's I, I put a post up the other day about male fertility and chemical use. Phthalates, wasn't it? Phthalates, yeah. So there's a woman, Dr. Shanna Swan, who has done her PhD on the topic and she estimates that by 2050 sperm counts could be at zero if we don't make changes now. But the issue with phthalates is that they are a byproduct of the petroleum industry and that is not going anywhere. That's a big money maker. So you kind of have to, I suppose, chase the money to see which industry is involved and it comes down to what we can do in our own home. 
the changes that we can make in our own home. So whether, you know, for my female clients who are stressed, how can we balance that nervous system? How can we go from sympathetic nervous system dominance or fight or flight into that parasympathetic nervous system dominance or rest and digest? Stress is healthy when it's used at the right time for the right amount of time, but the fact of the matter is is we're seeing people in this state all throughout the day. Yeah, right. Like, I guess the the, can, the term that we would use is highly strung or yeah, strung uh, out. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so stressed that they can't even sleep. Tired but wired. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, we had a, a friend of ours, John Marsh. We had a, um, yeah, he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but we spoke about, he's very much into breath work and he's all about, like down regulation breathing and uh I, I asked him what he thought about Wim Hof and that whole thing and he's like he's like yeah whatever it's great for some people but he's like the Wim Hof method as I see it tends to upregulate people and then down regulate them like kind of in the same like it, you know one comes after the other but he's like people don't need like he said all my chips are on the table that all we need is more down regulation Mm-hmm. Like we are all too highly strong. 100%. And what we also see is, you know, people who sit at a computer all day have um, almost apnea, as in they're not breathing. You don't even realise that you're typing away and you haven't even taken a breath. And then when you are taking a breath, it's usually from your chest and that's that sympathetic nervous system dominance. If you take a belly breath that's a parasympathetic breath. And so that simple mindful change in how you breathe, you know, your breath is the one thing that tells the body that you're safe. And it's it's free. You know, it's so easy. Yeah. I love how everybody listening just checked in with their breath. Oh, yeah. As soon as you, (laughs) yeah, I was just like, that's me. Diaphragm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. uh, It's such a, such a, it is free and it's right there. And I know it, and but I still find myself being like, fuck, I didn't think about, like I, I didn't think about breathing yesterday. Like I didn't check in with it once. I know. And, you know, like a lot of the things that end up in my treatment plans are free, you know, getting out in nature at the end of the day, like go for a walk around the block, get your feet on the sand if you can or on the grass, have your lunch away from your computer outside if possible. If you're feeling stressed at work, do some box breathing, you know, like you can do that. No one will even know you're doing it or start your day with a guided meditation. Finish the day with a guided yoga nidra. These are free things, but nobody is prioritizing them. And so what is the, what is at the root of all that? Like what is it that's, that's keeping us in this stress state? Obviously you mentioned stressful jobs like the work thing what else depends on the individual right but what i see a lot is work finishing at the end of the day but then coming home and working or being connected to their phone doom scrolling yeah comparing their life to other people's life doom scrolling (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) you Um, know like watching you you might be watching netflix but you've also got your phone or you're then laying in bed and you're scrolling your phone. Stop. And then that that's impacting, you know, your body's ability to produce melatonin. 
I wanted to ask you because um, I mentioned before to you, off air, my wife's a midwife. And well, we've had three kids, so, you know, definitely not, I'm not a professional, but in this area, but we've had some discussions about this, some sticky discussions as well, in terms of the first point that you made, which is more to do with just the way the world's gone. Um, and you said 10 to 20 years ago, it's very different now, but imagine 50, 60 years ago, um, women were even more so in the house and home, and it's very different now. And that's that's really fucking tricky because well, it's, not, it's nothing that we can't change, we can change, and it's not that it's wrong, but yet we have this issue. So where do we go from here? Just yeah. on that is the, uh, you know, and just to clarify for people listening, is the implication there that the- uh, More women like, are in the workforce. Yeah, but that, that the housewife role com- carries with it its own stresses, but different stresses to uh, a career environment. And yeah. the career environment Absolutely. is perhaps more stressful in a way. Mm-hmm. Is that that's the implication of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And possibly also that all of those years ago there was more of a village around a woman. Totally. Yeah, and so yeah. Well, that was what I was going to come yeah. to. Yeah. So we go ahead. What we have is uh, people moving away from family, myself included. You know, I've got a three and a half year old. Um, Glenn's family are down the south coast so you know four and a half hour drive my family are on the gold coast during covid obviously could have my parents could have been over in the uk couldn't Mm. see them um so yeah people are no longer surrounded by family members and have that support network um to help them with all of this totally and you know if you've got childcare, incredible but you know keeping your relationship alive with date nights and that kind of thing, it's really tricky unless you want to pay an extra $100 to a babysitter yeah. to be able to go out for dinner. So I guess um, what we need to do is ask for more help and look for community that isn't necessarily family. And I think the issue that I see a lot is women don't like asking for help, whether they see it as a weakness or that they're a burden on other people. Mm they don't want to ask for help. Like I've recently teed up a thing with another couple who my daughter's friends with their daughter. Once a month, Glenn and I will go out for dinner. She'll go over to their place and do a Saturday night with them. We pick her up on the way home and then vice versa. And just being able to do that and know that she's having fun and we can go out and it's not, you know, costing an arm and a leg is so great. But we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't just have the initial conversation. Mm. Yeah, um, the yeah the other part that I was, you know, about the displacement of family, the family unit, um, I, I tend to think like, uh, and I'm not, not sure, like women or young women and girls don't tend to be around um, a lot of childbirth, depending on which area of the city that you live, you, you grow up in, but... Um, I, I kind of feel like I see because people don't grow up around a lot of kids or maybe they're, it's kind of pushed away that childbirth is that thing, but you don't I, – I think that they don't, once upon a time people used – girls used to witness their older sisters or their mothers having births. And nowadays, if I fast forward, I feel like there's a lot of anxiety around being pregnant. And, and, and you know, and, and my wife 
you know, she worked in the hospital and, you know, she's really into home birthing and we had a home birth and stuff like that, um, which she finds there's a lot of people that are just like don't know, they, they don't have any experience in childbirth and also with the hospital system, they don't give them all the options. They don't know all their options. Um, so like a lot of people are just opting for C-sections and stuff and, yeah, it just seems like a, it's a shitty issue sometimes that, when it comes to like giving birth, it's like uh, a lot of people just aren't don't know what to do necessarily. No, they fall pregnant and they're like, way. "What do What do I do what now?" What do I do now? I mean, I was the same. And they often put their trust in other people, and it's less intuitive. And this, yeah, it's unfortunate. There's less people around them, family members, as you said. Yeah, and that kind of losing the intuition. I mean, that's essentially the overarching thing with all of the stuff that I've discussed so far is that people are no longer like they're in their head they're out of their body Mm. so with different symptoms that arise everything like that they're they're no longer in their body Mm. or trust their body or know what their body's telling them Mm. but yeah I so many people yeah they fall pregnant they pee on the stick and then then if they've got private health they go through a private obstetrician and that is not always a beautiful experience. And then they don't even know that the public system has this incredible service with midwifery-led care. Mm. Uh, it's a huge issue. Great. I'm sure your wife knows about it, the documentary Birth Time. Yes. Yeah. She. So, yeah, that's were her mentors when she studied. Joe and she gave birth to our daughter and stuff and we went so yeah great documentary yeah, incredible and as they say it should just be laid out your different options when you do fall pregnant yeah. like it's very normal if you want to go private awesome but these are also your other options mm. yeah that's a tough one that um being in your head being out of your body piece that's kind of related to the sympathetic parasympathetic state um makes me think of there's a paul you mentioned intuition and there's the there is probably somewhere most of us have an intuition or a gut feeling about certain areas of our health like oh maybe maybe this isn't quite right for me maybe maybe i don't feel great after i ate that thing maybe i should maybe i should stop eating them you know i feel that with beers sometimes like maybe i should stop drinking beers <laughs> slap myself and keep <laughs> drinking the beers but you know you have these 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 little insights but i feel like largely we've lost our intuition in with a lot of things and um i think for a lot of folks i feel like and i guess i'm asking this as a question um we've come so far that maybe there's no opportunity at regaining the intuition so it requires outside help mm. in order to try and then like learn a bit of conscious stuff so that then you can maybe start to rely on your your gut feeling a bit more does that does that make sense yeah it does and because the you know even just talking to you have to gauge the client but uh even just talking about you know mindfulness as an idea that someone might implement in their day people are either they've heard about it and they're open to it or they're just thinking what is she going on about yeah (laughs) absolutely um, but yeah, I do think it can be taught, and I think the the sad thing is is that for a lot of people, they're not getting back in touch with their body until they have a big wake up call, until something happens to their health or something like that that makes them go, 
oof, maybe I shouldn't be eating that way or, you know, you, you see it a lot with men who have heart attacks. Like that's the catalyst for them maybe eating differently or moving their body more. And it's sad that we have to get to that point to get there. Yeah, a friend of ours um, described it and I, I, I never forget it and I use it often is like uh, that intuition, which is like we lose it because we're so busy, right, and we're masked so it's kind of drowned out. Um, but he said like your body or some intuition will tickle you if there's something wrong and if you don't listen to the tickle, it'll poke you and if you don't listen to that, it'll throw a brick at your head. Exactly. And then some people don't listen to that still and the Mack truck will come and take you out. Yeah, that is a brilliant analogy. That was Ben. Yeah, feather brick truck. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I just added some other layers. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Fuck, I'm saying absolutely a lot at the moment. But yeah, I agree with that. It's, it, that's a good way to put it, it is masked. I think yeah. we, we often feel a lot of these things. Like when you go camping and everyone's like, oh man, I was going to sleep so early and... You know, just chilling out and happy to not do. You know, and you're like, yeah, that's what happens when there's no technology. Oh, that's no artificial what happens light. when you go to yeah, you go to bed when it's dark and you wake up when it's light. Like, yeah, holy shit. Yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, we're not. I guess I, I don't preach. I don't preach hard about that. I think we, if you live in an urban environment, you have to adapt to that environment, but you don't have to completely succumb to it. Like you can. There's ways to try and opt. Like you are going to stay up later than sunrise generally. Yes. I yeah. mean, you know, at least if you fucking want to watch some telly or whatever, you've got kids or something. Um, yeah. But you can work with it in a way that is a little bit more intuitive with your body than... Yeah. I mean, the, the hard thing is is that we, ha- we have an inbuilt circadian rhythm. And yes, we have evolved to have streetlights and you know, our mobile phones and our laptops and our TVs, but our circadian rhythm still hasn't changed. So we we can't, yeah, you're right, we're not going to to bed to a campfire and waking up to the sunshine, but there are ways that we can kind of try and bring a little bit of balance in, especially if it's affecting, you know, our overall health. Could we go to um, maybe... And, and I guess looking at this from the view of uh, women who are in a maybe in a training situation, like so they're doing regular strength training, whatever, CrossFit, F45, any kind of thing. So, yeah, and that, I guess that, tends, that often tends to speak to a certain kind of person, um, you know, motivated to go and exercise and that whole thing. Could you talk on what the – maybe some of the common issues that you would see coming up with – that part of the population yeah so having come from well I used to do CrossFit training not a coach absolutely not but seeing that people become addicted to it essentially you'd see it you know people would be there seven days a week if you allow them to be there seven days a week and there's so so many positive attributes to that the community, the focus that it brought onto what people are eating and also women getting strong, all incredible things. But I guess one of the biggest things is if they are in a high-powered, stressful job and then they're – so their cortisol's raised and then they're coming into, say, a CrossFit setting and absolutely smashing it multiple days a week, 
again, heightened cortisol. They could be doing all the right things, but certain things start happening with their body. So for some women, it might be an irregular period. So maybe it comes early, maybe it comes late, maybe it's missing because that's a stress on the body. And the body will say, the, you know, your brain overrides everything, the, the hypothalamus. And it's, if it thinks that it's not a safe environment to conceive, it will shut down your ability to conceive. Um, or say you've got someone who is prone to maybe weight gain and so they're, you know, going to, they're smashing themselves at the gym every day, they might be restricting their calories because that's what all of the magazines tell them to do. And what ends up happening is that they've got that heightened cortisol, their body thinks they're going into starvation mode, so it starts storing everything they eat as fat. And so you've got these women on both ends of the scale that are either missing their cycle getting quite lean or women who are putting on weight and they think they're doing the right thing right despite training a shitload and not eating much exactly exactly and um there's so the the sad thing is and i had to check the dates on this so it's only been since 1993 that women have been included in clinical trials and research which isn't that long ago for what for everything when we're talking about sports and performance and diets this is i remember um stacy sims talks a lot about this doesn't she dr stacy sims yeah 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 Um, it wild that huge they were considered an anomaly prior to that weren't they yeah and so then but even since then a lot of the women that are included in the studies are menopausal so we don't have that beautiful ebb and flow of hormones that we'd see with a woman of reproductive age. And so I suppose from a research point of view, that's easier. We can say we've got women in the trial, but we don't have the hormones to work with. But how cool would it be to actually have the studies on you know, women of reproductive age at different stages of their cycle and how they perform or how a certain way of eating will impact them because it does change across the month yeah that would be cool is it uh do you think that they've been excluded i mean there's many reasons for that but do you think that 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 the nature of uh the the menstrual cycle just makes it harder for like some researchers that are like, I'm just going to go with dudes because dudes are pretty consistent. I totally get why they have. And there are so many different variables and you'd have to, you know, say the women in the study, their cycle length is consistently X amount of days. You know, this is when they ovulate. And so if it varies in a group, then results could be skewed. So there's a lot of, you know, I suppose it leaves space for a lot of exciting research in the future and I hope that it is done because I think you could see some really cool things in relation to, you know, um, increased PBs or, you know, workout times or VO2 max, all of these things if you actually kind of look across the different stages of the cycle. I was talking... um we uh, I spoke a while ago but we released an episode a couple of weeks ago where I spoke with a woman named Sarah Gross who's actually the mark she manages uh, Stacey Sims media company so she does the marketing for her 
and she's all about empowering an active culture for women. And we were talking about exactly that. And um, she was just telling me about, you know, which is from what I've learned is a very common measure that's taken, but kind of blew my mind. She's like, she used to be, a, she was a champion triathlete. And she said, um, depending when the event was and where, I was, where you're at with your menstrual cycle, you would just take the pill if you needed to, to shut down your cycle, if it was falling on or around the event. I totally get that because when you are, um, so basically if we really simplify it, you could say that the menstrual cycle's broken into two with the first half being your <coughs> follicular phase and the second half being your luteal phase. So in the follicular phase, that is when your hormones are increasing so we're, and I can break it down even more, but that's essentially your hormones go from being low, they're increasing, they get to their absolute peak at say ovulation. And then the luteal phase is when they start declining on their way back to say a female getting her period. And so if you have an event when your period's due, that's when your hormones are at their absolute lowest. And when is the, like, What's the ideal time there? High hormones or low hormones? So the the optimal time. So I often like relating the menstrual cycle to the seasons of the year because I think it is really like I have a lot of women in their thirties who have never really understood their menstrual cycle. So none of no questions are kind of off the table because a lot of women don't even know their cycle. But if we look at um, say day day one of their period, that's considered like your winter. And if you think about how you feel in winter, you kind of want warmer foods. You may want to rest a little bit more. You're feeling a little bit more, you know, sluggish or make excuses as to why you don't want to get outdoors. And then you know the feeling um, coming into spring, like you've winter's finished and it's all of a sudden spring and there's just a difference in the air, right? You just feel a little bit perkier. Um, maybe you're a little bit more social. So this is kind of you know, heading into that towards ovulation. So it's a really good time to kind of make plans, start new projects. Peak follicular. Yeah. Right, just before. Exactly. Then you get to ovulation, which is a small window, but that's what I'd describe as your inner summer. So that's when you're kind of, when a woman would say she feels her best, libido's up there. It's a very social and outgoing time. That would be a time. So the spring summer would be when a woman would, feel like peak physical performance so she might hit pbs you know run her fastest time whatever you know modality she does and then you go into your inner autumn so this is when your hormones are starting to you know go down um you may for that first so the it's usually a two-week the luteal is like two weeks but you may find that first week you're still feeling okay you know, you still got a bit of energy, but that week before your period, that's when a lot of women's symptoms pop up, whether it be mood changes or appetite changes, that kind of thing. And so it's about just knowing where you're at in your cycle and honouring that. It doesn't mean that you have to stop training, but maybe you just pull back and focus on strength or skill or something like that. And like, as I've said to you before, Joey, that's a, a huge benefit of this facility is that you can do just that you know your women aren't flogging themselves at the gym every day yeah i mean 
it seems it's the same for guys really when from our perspective with the training thing where it's like you you just you can't be doing high intensity like high volume work all the time you will crash and burn and you know guys have the benefit of obviously not having to deal with this kind of like you know roller coaster on a physiological level i'm sure they have their own shit but but yeah for women it's it seems even it's obviously even more important that there's i don't know I, it, for a gym that there's options for different phases yeah i feel like men so another woman who's written a lot about it other than um, Dr. Stacey Sims is Elisa Vitti. She's a naturopathic doctor and she relates it to, so men, their hormones work on a circadian rhythm, so a 24-hour cycle, and women work on an infradian rhythm, which is essentially anything longer than 24 hours. So if you think about um, how a man would generally feel in the morning, he start, his energy starts peaking middle of the day afternoon he's still kind of I'd say middle of the day he's at his peak might start dropping a little bit in the afternoon but still has a fair bit of energy and then if you're anything like my partner you get home and it's like a flat line (laughs) (laughs) and like if you kind of relate the female menstrual cycle to that 24-hour rhythm they look similar it's just that a women's is stretched across the month and yours is over a 24-hour period Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I could identify with that. <laughs> the flat line? Uh, <laughs> You're getting tired right now. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to hit my peak around lunchtime, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I, I'm a classic case of I, I don't let myself – like I'm, I can keep working. All, I think we're so well trained from being in the film industry and then also, you know, owning our own gym. You're just really good at working all the time. Yeah. And you just get it done. It doesn't matter. And it's it's a great skill to have but – it you know it allows you work ethics or hormones uh work coffee coffee yeah (laughs) it would i think agents yeah i would say it's totally acting against you know what your what your physiology is saying yeah i think the the other thing to note with the cycle is that at different stages a woman's metabolism can differ so in that kind of first half of the cycle when their hormones are on the on the increase their, metabol- their metabolism is actually a little bit sluggish. And so that's a really good time if women do do things like intermittent fasting, not that I think a woman of reproductive age should do, but that would be the time to do it when you, when you have those hormones on the rise. It's also like a great time to support the liver to clear out all of those hormones in preparation for the second half of your cycle. So maybe eating things that are a lot fresher like have your salads have lots of leafy greens and bitter greens and liver supporting foods and then in that second half of your cycle as your hormones start to drop that's when we actually burn more calories and when we should be nourishing ourselves a lot better focusing on complex carbohydrates because i think that's one of the biggest things i see is women avoiding carbs Mm. It's, and they can greatly support how a woman is that week before her period. Right. So, you know, quinoa, brown rice, barley, sprouted breads, roasted sweet potato, potatoes, pumpkin, all of these things, but so many women avoid them. What's the – this word, uh, this term like hormonal imbalance gets thrown around a lot and, you know, we know – 
in fitness, like there's some generalizations that are made like, oh, like, um, you know, you see it a lot in say, uh, women who are bodybuilding or, you know, figure competition, that kind of thing. Um, but even, you know, um, if, uh, those who are chasing like high levels of athleticism, a lot of CrossFitters, overtraining, pushing it too hard, hormonal imbalance. What does that actually mean? Like, what do we, you know, what, I'm guessing that it's, it's a very general term. Um, can you explain that to me a bit? Yeah, it is a very general term. And I suppose what does normal look like, you know? Good place to start. Yeah. I don't even know that. I don't know that anyone knows that because they vary so much. But I suppose what we're looking at is when we get blood tests done, we're looking at what the relationship is between estrogen and progesterone. So if a woman, we have our, you know, healthy range, that's like quotation marks, because when I think of pathology done through the doctors, essentially sick, a lot of sick people or unwell people are going to get bloods. And so that's their range is Mm. built on the average of, you know, that population. Whereas as a naturopath, we would look at optimal ranges. So just because someone falls within the healthy range, we might still see it as suboptimal high or suboptimal low. Um, But essentially we're looking at, you know, what's estrogen doing? So if we've got a woman who has a really heavy cycle and a woman would know this if she has to, you know, say change a tampon every two hours or wear two forms of sanitary items, she would know if she has a heavy cycle. generally we'd see estrogen very, very high and that would be causing her a host of different symptoms. And I suppose that imbalance also comes down to the symptom picture, what that particular woman is experiencing. If we have a woman who's experiencing really low mood before her her period, um, irritability, even verging on, say, anxiety and depression we might be seeing that progesterone is very low and progesterone is what we need to hold a pregnancy. But it can also be just that the gap between the two is quite different and so we want to, you know, bridge that gap and have more balance within their hormones. Um, In women who have, say, missing cycle from polycystic ovarian syndrome where she starts noticing maybe some male pattern hair growth, maybe some, you know, back acne. Um, That would be the male hormones that are coming into play. So the testosterone being quite elevated. So you'd be working on kind of reducing that to get the balance back. So essentially, I suppose normal would be where she doesn't have any symptoms. Yeah, right. And feels... feels Well. Well. Yeah. Which can change at different times of the month, and yes, you know, it's it's yeah. There's much to it. Women are so different to men. Realizing <laughs> this, so different. Well, here's a here's a question. <laughs> I had a naturopath years ago um, who I saw for a long time. I really liked him. His name was John McGuire. He's in the <coughs> city, uh, and I'd see him for like I used to get tonsillitis a bunch. I'd see him for things like that, sinus. I'd kind of like allergies and whatnot. He helped me with it, um, but he said to me, he was like. He said, yeah, like uh, we were talking, I was doing jiu-jitsu at the time and I was talking to him about competition and finding it challenging and stressful and that kind of thing. 
And he was saying, yeah, well, men have their own hormonal cycles. He said, we just, he said they're different to women, but he said, yeah, we just, we don't talk about it much, but he's like, they're there, you know? So, you know, maybe he said, yeah, maybe sometimes it's funny. He never asked me about my sleep. And I think I was just undersleeping all these years, but, um, he, you know, he just alluded to like, you're a complex being as well. Absolutely. Like, you know, we didn't really take it any further than that. Yeah, and that's taking it into, the, if you look at that flow across, across, you know, your sleep and wake cycle and how, like if you were really in tune with it, how you'd kind of see that flow. It's just, you have yours every day and ours is stretched cr- across the month. And, you know, I can have a woman who comes to me and she's like, I have suicidal ideation, I've, I'm depressed, low mood, feel like I can't get out of it. But then when we actually go through the questioning, it's that two weeks before her cycle. But because it happens every fortnight, it seems like it's all the time. Right. But when we actually work it out, it's it could be, you know, a severe form of PMS called PMDD. And it's just a case of, you know, supporting her hormones to bring that balance back. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm not actually depressed. It was just wow. during that, that period of time. What's the – could you talk on some of the, the common prescriptions? You mentioned that sometimes it's very simple stuff, it's free stuff. Um, could you talk on what some of the common sort of recommendations you make to to women in this realm? Uh, it'd be, you know, overall assessing her dietary intake to see where might need to be supported until she can kind of meet those dietary needs because my first and foremost, food all of the way. Like I, I don't want people to be relying on herbs and supplements for the rest of their life ideally they're nailing their diet and still enjoying things like i love going out for a burger and pizza you know that's living does glenn have the burger and the pizza too at the same time he would need both (laughs) (laughs) you'll partake (laughs) yes he loves it oh good yeah but it gets expensive because he needs more than one he's a big guy we're gonna (laughs) give him a shout we haven't said hi yet big g i miss you (laughs) paul misses you too and that's how you know Renee. That's right. Yep. CrossFit Bondi, the Bondi yeah. connection. There's a history there. The Bondi connection. Bondi connection. <laughs> Leave it at that. Yeah, um, yeah go on. Uh, so ge- prescriptions, it's not one size fits all ever, but generally I can say that the main things that someone would be uh, deficient in would be things like vitamin D, uh, zinc, is a huge one magnesium so we don't often go and do a blood test for magnesium you can do it but judging by a lot of people's symptoms if they're you know struggling with their nervous system if they are getting a lot of cramps in the lead up to their cycle magnesium's just it's one of those things that's responsible for like 300 enzymatic reactions in the body um, one of my lecturers at uni said it should be in the water supply. Right. Everyone could benefit from magnesium. I've never heard a strength coach or a health specialist who hasn't supported the use of magnesium. Yeah, and there are different – there's different forms of magnesium as well. So, you know, if someone's got issues with their gut and maybe they're not 
going to the toilet as often as they can. You can do like a magnesium citrate, which helps with bowel movement. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like magnesium glycinate. It's a really beautiful one for the nervous system. Um, It's it's calming. So my recommendation is usually glycinate based on who I'm seeing in clinic (coughs) and it's dosed before bed to help with their sleep. What do you find magnesium in food? Uh, dark chocolate. You? Oh. Red wine. <laughs> uh, no, so that's where your leafy greens, your beautiful um, whole grains, mm. um, dark chocolate is one of them. Um, you can find it in so many foods. So that's where, you know, a balanced diet definitely comes into play. Um, and then if not, you've got your supplementation there. But I have done a huge backflip in the last, say, six to 12 months on how much I prescribe because I do believe in that more of a whole food approach. So I've also started prescribing a lot of, like, um, say for iron, like beef liver. I personally take a combo. It's beef liver, beef heart, beef kidney in a capsule. Uh, I love cod liver oil because you're getting your vitamin D, you're getting some vitamin A as well as your essential fatty acids. Um, I, for some of my clients, have started prescribing oyster capsules oh. for zinc, right? Because they're like the they're like the powerhouses of of zinc. Having oysters, but we can't all afford oysters every night. I used to like smoked oysters from a tin. Not Delicious. sure if they they hit the mark. I would say if they're of like from a good source, then still got zinc in it. I don't think they were. I think they were John <laughs> West or something like that. How right. about the um? How about the the herbs? Can you tell me about that? Because you mentioned it in your description, and that's kind of I always think of naturopaths as prescribing herbs. How does that play a part? Is that part of is that supplementation or is it part of the diet prescription? That is considered supplementation. Again, wouldn't want anyone to be on herbs long term. It's too expensive. So um, what is it? Is it herbs like a group of plants or like a... So it's many different plants, flowers, barks from okay. different species. Um, and basically, for the most part, they're extracted on ethanol and bottled. So they have a long shelf life. Some of them are extracted differently to make them more appealing taste-wise to say children or if you have someone who has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or a history of alcoholism we do have the you know the low ethanol and the glycotract formulas that they can take that's not going to you know be alcohol and when I say alcohol you're not going to get drunk from them it's just the process of extracted extraction And based on both traditional knowledge of herbs and how they were used several thousands of years ago and also based on more recent scientific evidence, each herb can has a different herbal action on the body. So there so let's say a lot of people would know, say Panax ginseng. That is what we would consider an adaptogen herb. So it helps people adapt from different stresses but it also is quite a um i almost describe it as rocket fuel because i feel like it gives people a lot of energy um i i would say it's more of a male herb there's a lot of research with um sperm health and panax ginseng 
So that would be something that would go into a blend of herbs for a male fertility case along with a couple of other ones depending on what's going on with that individual. And then you have um, other herbs that are more nervous system herbs so they're quite calming. Um, mm. We have herbs that help with sleep onset, um, that help with sleep maintenance, that help with digestive issues. So a, a bitter which will help the digestive process start in a person's body. Um, and then we have like female herbs that, for example, if a woman's having a baby, she will start taking herbs, say, from about 34 weeks that are going to help prepare the uterus for all of the contractions and uh, hopefully elicit a smoother, a smoother labour and help her uterus return to size after birth. So it's pretty incredible. There's herbs for everything. It's pretty much like just the power of plants and you prescribe plants to people, but you take them sometimes in a pill, sometimes as a tea, yeah, exactly. So depending on, I suppose, liquid herbs can be pretty funky. I've Not many some of those in my time. Yeah. Liquid herbs, like just mixed into a drink, you mean? So this is where they're extracted on alcohol and or ethanol. And so generally a dose would be, say, 7.5 mil twice a day. So you're filling your little measuring cup to 7.5 mil, top the rest with water and you're shotting it. Mm. But they don't taste great. Mm. So it depends on compliance. If someone's like done plenty of tequila shots before i can handle a shot of herbs <coughs> down the hatch whereas other people like cannot take them they make me gag so maybe you'd look at you know a tablet formula which a lot of companies offer yep you can't get as specific i think the great thing about liquid herbs is a herbal mix can be so completely tailored to the individual Whereas if we're going down the form of a tablet, they might have like a nervous system mix, but it might not have all of the herbs that you want in it. Mm. Um, and then with, say, nutraceuticals, instead of someone taking a whole heap of different tablets, you could make one powder that has everything in it that you want someone to take. So you do that? Yeah, we can do that. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a little bit witchy. You know, no, it does but sound it, it. yeah, it's but it to me it sounds kind of logical that plants, scrubs, bark, they all have properties that have an effect on the body. It's just I just think of it as food, yeah. essentially. Like I was just picking the right food. Yeah, but I mean, so many pharmaceutical drugs are based on the the actions of plant medicine totally well, a lot of it yeah totally. comes from there doesn't it it does so yeah. yeah which i think i think for people listening it can be easy to think like oh you're mixing like leaves and shit and it's like yeah but that's what medicine is yeah, yeah. i got my mortar and pestle just yeah gr yeah grinding out some twigs i listened to a guy talk the other day he was saying that the 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 testosterone that you would buy now which is most mostly coming from china which is what would be used by you know people who are illegally using testosterone he said it's extracted from soybeans or from sweet potato, mm. you know, which, and you, you know, so yeah, like it's all could eat. I plant mean, matter. Yeah. Yeah. A good example is um, aspirin. It was modeled off the herbal actions of, you know, one particular plant medicine. And if someone takes too much aspirin, it can cause, you know, gastric upset and ulceration, you know, because of the way that the mode of, 
the drug. Whereas if you take it in herbal formula, it's not going to act as fast, but it actually goes through the digestive system and Mm -hmm. then is only activated once it goes through the digestive system. Whereas the herb is active, uh, sorry, the, the pharmaceutical drug is active the whole way. And so exactly. that's where the discomfort comes from. Mm. So no, it's I'd a little bit of a shortcut. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I don't know much about uh, medicines. I didn't grow up taking many or anything like that. And I know it's a bit of a controversial space, but to me it seems really logical. I remember when, um, when I was really young, um, this must have been some of the first times I went back to Fiji, back to our village, and I was given herbal medicine, like... I remember I had conjunctivitis and they took me to like, and it was a woman, it was a lady and she picked some stuff out and she ground it up and squeezed it and I had to drink this juice. You know, I don't know whether it worked or not, but <laughs> it makes sense to me. They also got some plants once I had, um, I can't remember what they call it. It's named, the name is the Fijian word for bat, which I can't remember because I can't speak Fijian very well. Um, but it was like I had a sweat gland that had uh, developed under my armpit. and It was really thick and it happens often because you're in a humid country. They call it bat because like you need to hang. I had to hang all the time to, to let it through. Well, this is what they told me to do. I was young, but it was also another thing with a plant. They got a plant and freaking pulped it up and just like sh- my, uh, my auntie who was a midwife in the village for many, many years and she delivered my sister on a boat many years ago she um yeah she's slapped it in my armpit and just like and then proceeded to massage it violently so that's a pol <laughs> that's called a, a poultice okay yeah so where's the herbs are like ground down and applied topically and to the skin and there's still mm. there's still herbs that you can do that like if you grow say you know com- comfrey's one of them which is mm. like a wild weed and you have like a sprain or an ache. I'm not saying don't go to the, <laughs> don't don't like treat your broken arm with it. But mm. if you like strain something and you've mm. got comfrey, you would make a, a poultice out of it, apply it, wrap a bandage, and it has that local anti-inflammatory effect. We always use pawpaws on cuts um, because there's pawpaws everywhere, and I, you cut yourself very easily, and it gets infected in that humid. Place, but it was the poor poor skin would just go on and cut it on your leg and it's just like oh it's cool relief yeah it's incredible isn't it and i'm not sure if it's fiji but kava kava Carv- kava's it from fiji and yeah. the other nations so yeah. that is like one of our incredible nervous system herbs that can really down regulate someone's nervous system like if they suffer from his family are experts in this (laughs) (laughs) sometimes too much yeah (laughs) no so they can well people can abuse it yeah um but you know it's incredible it can for someone say they have performance anxiety maybe they have to give a presentation at work or something like that pop some kava and it should just mellow them out Uh, right on yeah incredible yeah, and takes the edge off. Definitely <laughs> takes the edge off. Sometimes more, <laughs> uh, depending on how many bowls you drink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, yeah. I've I've been fortunate enough to have the experience through going to family things at Paul's. You know, with Paul's fam, and it's like, yeah, like a couple of bowls of kava, and like you just. What I noticed is because you tend to sit around on a mat, which is not overly comfortable, sitting there cross-legged on a mat, not really doing anything. 
But all of a sudden, after a couple of bowls, you're very comfortable to just sit there on the mat and do nothing. <laughs> and you can sit there for hours, which, you know, which is testament to, yeah, it's totally chilling you out. Because normally I'd be like, oh, fuck. Fidgeting. Yeah, what's my phone doing? Where's the party at? You know. Yeah. yeah. Bondi vibes. Could <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> get back to Bondi, bring it, man. Bring it back. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, I, I suppose then there's, you know, Places where you got you have to find a supplier to get this stuff, and I suppose I suppose there's any and all different types of suppliers and regulation and whatnot in that field, and that's yes. probably case for having a good naturopath that gets good product. Absolutely, uh, I think we're very lucky now. I mean, my when I have a client online, they get an email from the company that I prescribe through. They can log on. Products are delivered to their doorstep. Obviously, this particular supplier stocks so many different brands and it's just about you knowing the ones you work with, the ones that have good research behind them, reputable companies, good testing, that kind of thing would be the ones that you lean towards. So yes, there's so much that you can get over the counter these days, but I think it's so important to know what you're buying because you could just be for example, say a, a B vitamin, you could just be buying expensive wee because you're just going to wee them out. Yeah. So know where it's coming from. So I think you're pretty safe to say, like if someone's not going to see a naturopath, they could go to a really good health food store and they usually will have a range that's behind the counter that you can't just pick up and buy or in a cabinet and they're generally the ones that you'd want to reach for. Is that often like – are you talking naturopathic drugs or are you talking supplements? This is more supplements. The biocidical stuff is often in that realm, isn't it? Yeah, so some of the really good ones at the moment are like Orthoplex. Um, Metagenics have a good reputation. Biomedica have a really good reputation. I think biocidicals, they have their clinical range, which is white label, and then they've got their blue range that you would be able to just get off the shelves. Yeah. Um, as for herbal medicine, you would be finding a dispensary – uh, there's a couple around here. It's different everywhere, but I also have an online dispensary. So I will put in, you know, my herbal formula that I want a client to have. It gets made up and it gets delivered to them. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The end goal is for me to have a wall full of herbs that I can just kind of, mm. you know, make something up as I go. True witch status. Yeah, I just think it's cool to have everything you need on hand to be able to keep your family well. Yeah, that's it's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. To put something together, someone's got a symptom today, it's like I have the knowledge to be able to... Exactly, like my daughter, if she gets run down from daycare, she takes herbs and she loves it. I give it to her in a little glass measuring cup and down the hatch, she's been doing that since, you know... For the past few years uh she has cod liver oil every night that stuff tastes disgusting and she sucks it out of the the dropper oh wow so you just not even in a gel cap no not even in right a gel on. cap straight down so you start them young and yep. it becomes all they know and i hope that you know as she grows up she's going to have you know this wisdom from her mum knowing that you can look after your health naturally and hopefully the education she needs to love her menstrual cycle and not look at it as a burden like so many women do now 
or a weakness. That's a that's an interesting point you mentioned about um, your daughter being comfortable to eat things that for most of us would be a bit distasteful, like fish oil or cod liver oil. Um, it makes me think, you know, you were mentioning before you take those those beef, uh, you know, the beef, it's powdered. Liver. Yeah. 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 <coughs> liver, heart, what was the other one? Liver, heart and kidney in a capsule. Right. And I... And liver queen. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> Not eating any <laughs> testicles. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can see Big G fulfilling the... The male role in that, <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> um, but the uh, the discussion around offal and organ meats and how in our like our generation now, if you're in the health realm, you know that organ meats are really good. And like if you've read Nourishing Traditions, it's like yeah, you got to be doing bone broth and you got to try and get some liver in there. But for all of us, like people around our age, like 30, 40, it's like man, this stuff tastes like shit. No. Because most of us, or at least I never grew up on it. I grew up on muscle meat, yeah, chicken breast, lamb cutlets, whatever. Um, whereas you go to more, you see people who are eating in a more traditional way, you travel overseas um, or, you know, eat people from other countries and they eat all that shit. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've eaten that forever. Like, I know. And I feel like potentially, yeah, we have an opportunity to try and influence our young to be more comfortable eating those things just like – you would a piece of steak. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder how our nutrient status would be if we ate that way because you're getting so much more from the organ meats than you could ever get from a capsule. Yeah. Um, all I can say is, like, thank God for companies like Ethical Farmers who put it into their sausages and mints and that kind of thing and you wouldn't even know it's there. It tastes delicious. Those beef, bacon, liver sausages or something, huh? They are amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a yeah, and that whole carnivore mince thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's great that those companies are doing that. Yeah, and a great way to get it into your your family for sure. Have you? There's um, ethical farmers, Paulie. For anyone listening, they've they actually supplied us here at the gym for a part for a an open day we had some years ago. They they sent uh, I knew Dom, I think who's one of the owners from when he had his butcher in Vaucluse, yeah. uh, which I'm sure you went yeah. there too. Uh, but I contacted him and said, we're doing a thing. He said, man, no worries. We bought a bunch of uh, organic beef patties from them. But he sent us a bunch of eggs for free. He was like, take like 100 eggs so we could do like egg and, egg and right. kind of beef sandwiches. But um, they do this carnivore mince, which is, is it 70-30? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, which I think is like the recommended when you're kind of introducing that. It's a good balance that it doesn't taste too. Full on. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 70% beef mince, 30% organ mince. Mm. So some liver, kidney, whatever, <coughs> heart. Yeah, it's mad. You can make meatballs, spaghetti, you know, spag ball, yeah. all that classic stuff without realising that you're eating some liver or whatever. Exactly. Do you order that online? Yeah, they're, they're actually really good. I highly recommend them to anybody. They're local, like they're more or less local to here, all of their stuff. It doesn't travel that far. I think if you spend over 100 bucks, it's free delivery. We tend to order from them once a month and then chuck it in the freezer and we're good for the month. And I think they go up to Newcastle and I have a client who lives near Jarvis Bay who also gets it delivered. So they're pretty broad delivery, which is good. I need to get me some because we're losing that battle with the kids in terms of like the changing the diets. God. Yeah. 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 Start them young and give give them things (laughs) that like – Things that you're repulsed by, feed them to them because they don't they don't know any different. Like sardines and you know, if you're if you turn your nose up, like Freya used to down sardines and I, 
I'd feel like hosing her off at the end, but, <laughs> you know, you kind of can't put these things on your children, right? Mm, it's a great point. Yeah. I think that's a great spot for us to wrap it up on. That was a big chat and I feel like there's so much stuff we didn't get into. For sure. Which begs a part two at some stage. Happy to be here. It was cool. so informative to me because I didn't, I didn't, I really came with no knowledge. Um, I did ask my wife a little bit about her experience just, just quickly yesterday about it, knowing you were coming. So for me, it was awesome to chat to you. Thank you so much. And like I said to you guys, there are so many women that don't even know how their cycle works. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Well, Paul and I are now qualified to tell them how it works. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we did this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Renee, can you, can you plug what you got going on? Where can people find you and access your services? You've got a great Instagram. Plug that, please. Yes, so you can find me at Renee Lynch underscore naturopath. That's where I put a lot of my information. I should probably do a lot more on my blog, but I'm also at reneelynchnaturopath.com.au. Plenty of information on how to book in with me there and working on a kind of conscious conception fertility course, hopefully to launch later this year. Awesome. Where, where are you, where's your clinic? So I'm currently solely online at the moment. Okay. But that allows me to work with women all over the world. Amazing. Was that a COVID thing or was that... Yeah, it kind of pushed me that way. Great. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. It, and hey, it means I'm not locked into a capital city. I can be anywhere and, and reach anyone, which is great. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you for today. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you need some help with any of that, please check out Renee's work. And if you dig the show, please help show some love for us. Share the episode with a friend. Uh, and while you're at it, why don't you give us a little review, leave us five stars on whichever whichever app you listen to the show on. Thank you. We'll catch you guys next week.